0: All right, welcome into today's episode of Ask the Masters. We are joined for part two with Ken Milbury from Lenata Bay Tile, and we're talking a little bit more about waterproofing. Today we're going to get into kind of some of the tile specifications, you being a technical writer for a a tile company. So uh, for those that might have missed part one, uh, can you introduce yourself again?
1: My name is Ken Milbury, and I'm the director of technical services for Lenata Bay Tile.
0: And uh, Ken has been one of my mentors for, gosh, probably at least a decade now. Whenever I have a tough waterproofing question, sorry, damp-proofing, damp-proofing. question, we learned that on the last episode, um, I go to Ken with it. So today, let's kind of uh, back up just a little bit uh, and kind of uh, revisit some of the uh, things that we talked about on Episode 1. Um, a lot of this is based on uh, the TCNA uh, P602, uh, so, kind of define what that is, uh, and, and so it, it's basically the installation manual for tile across all. Uh, P602 is the pool portion, but TCNA talks about how you set any uh, tile material in in or out of swim pools. Not specific just to the, our industry. Correct. It's about
1: it's over 500 pages of tile industry specific recommendations.
0: Yeah, so it covers showers, backsplashes, kitchens, flooring, covers the gamut.
1: covers the gamut. Anywhere that a tile would be fixed, it covers it, and there's most likely a method for it.
0: Okay, so we're talking specifically P602, which is talking about the actual tile setting um, procedures that are required for use in swimming pools, submerged and non-submerged, or I guess they call it uh, fully clad and partially clad. Fully part and partially clad. That's, you know,
1: versus a waterline line and a plaster combination. And then, you know, all tiled. Now, remember that standard covers when we went over it in the first one anything set so it's it's tile stone whether it's glass porcelain or ceramic
0: yeah and i want to keep reiterating that we talked about it last time but so much of the misconception within the industry is that that is only required uh, damp proofing membranes all of that is only required for glass tile and that is not the case it requ- it's it's required for all tile setting in in a swimming pool and we could go as far as saying any and all okay Okay, so um, we got into kind of defining all of the damp proofing, um, uh, different systems and everything out there. Let's talk a little bit about the tile. You know, you you work with the tile manufacturer. Let's talk about different mounting methods, kind of the pl- pluses and minuses, the pros and cons. Uh, so essentially, we've got three different type of mounting systems that's out there. The most common within the industry is going to be your mesh-backed tile, and then we've got paper face-mounted and your tape face-mounted or my. uh, whatever so uh, can you let's start with the the easy ones the 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 plastic and the paper and then we'll kind of go into the discussion about mesh backed
1: well normally every day the issue those aren't the easier ones Um, as far as installation my call every day is about paper facing and how to pull it sure Um, so so we're gonna talk about the the attributes of actual you know the assembly itself Um, Mylar, the you know, basically is going to be set onto the pool with a thin set, and the drawback of that is is actually that if if you have to make adjustments or you have to actually move or, you know, splay the tile or wh- whatever we're going to do within the assembly, you actually have to cut the mylar to make your adjustments if it's sure. at at a line. as um, well what we call set and forget, but actually you have to let that dry twenty four hours in place so there's not going to be any maneuverability or adjustments that you can do actually will the thin set still workable or pliable
0: yeah, and just for, for people that are completely unfamiliar with it too, so this is essentially a tape that is on the face of the tile and then you're you're spreading the thin set onto the wall and you're placing it tape face up and you're not able to tweak those tiles at all. Whatever however it's on the tape is how it's gonna lay on the wall and if you've got an issue, you know, you're not you're not fixing that very easily. Yeah, it's
1: usually you can fix it, but you're taking out a razor knife or a razor blade and you're actually gonna cut that plastic and the issue comes is the next day when you go to, to pull the tape, you're pulling thousands of pieces. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very time consuming.
0: So that's a simple one to define. Kind of the next uh, paper face is also uh, fairly straightforward. So it's a it's a it's a glued on piece of paper, um, and you're uh, you're also mounting that um, upside down, if you will, to the uh, to to most people. So you're, you're thin setting. You're setting that on. Now the advantage to paper is that you don't have to wait that long. You can actually reemulsify the the glue that's on there, peel that paper off long before your your setting material is set up and make those fine adjustments within the paper that's probably the best explanation
1: that you could have for it um the other one is is with the mylar in the paper we actually get a hundred percent contact to the setting bed if we actually follow the three more most important steps in setting glass tile or any
0: any tile sure it's always to key notch and flatten the setting bed flatten i see that mist. It's by so many people, and that's yeah. I, I, even as in uh, of a couple of years ago, I didn't really understand. You know, you've got your different notch trowels, and then you have to go in and and flip that trowel around, and uh, all that does is tell you get you the amount of thinset that you need to have behind there. But then you've got to flatten it out before you start beating the material into it, and it will catch you. So.
1: In my instructions, I actually use the words key notch and flatten a lot. And the reason, because the most important step is actually the flattening. Sure. Um, In order to get the ridge marks out of it and you flatten the the thinset, you get actual 100% contact to the back of the tile. That's what paper facing and mylar facing allows you to do, the plastic facing. Sure. Is actually to get full contact to the back of the tile and maximize your bond.
0: Yeah. And according to TCNA, uh, the requirement is 95%. So if you're not achieving 95% coverage to the back of the tile, you're actually out of the spec and you're not not doing it per what the specification demands.
1: Right. And if you're using a translucent glass, let's just be honest, it's going to be plain ugly if you can see the the notch marks behind it.
0: Well, and and how many jobs have you and I both walked into that you see the notch marks, and those notch marks have all turned black because you're getting the mildew, you're getting all of that, and now the entire tile appearance has changed, the color has changed, everything. I mean, it becomes very, very apparent in in a clear glass. It's
1: almost impossible to sanitize the water once it gets behind the tile. So you're going to get mold, mildew, buildup. It also will start delaminating and, you know, degrading the actual setting bed.
0: Yeah, and and uh, you know one of the other founders here, uh, Grant Smith. I, th- I love the way he put it. He says that grout is just a decorative membrane it is not it doesn't seal in anything it's just kind of the finish that's on there but when you grout something you need to be expecting that the water is going to migrate through that grout and so anything that's going to get through that grout is eventually going to reach into those uh, you know the striations and and all of those notches so that's why that's why knocking it down is so important in our
1: first one we talked about waterproofing No, damp proofing. Ah, (laughs) Got me.
0: (laughs) We talked about damp
1: proofing. And in that, we're actually, if we don't knock down those notch marks, we're actually giving water pathways or trails to travel. Yep. And we don't want to do that. We actually, you know, like I said, if you just follow key notch and flatten for all tile, it's, it's, a, it's a great three-word thing to remember in the back of your head.
0: Yeah, and I wanna uh, expand on that a little bit because you know, we have a lot of architects that listen in that and the you know, biggest question you get is, why is my tile efflorescing? and there's that's a that's a giant topic that we can go into you know a lot of it has to do with waterproofing and improper waterproofing in that but it very much can just be in the setting bed you know it can be right there because as you get that water back behind there you got the water the air and and uh, the components of your cementitious material that is eventually going to start to effloresce out through so even with proper waterproofing you can still get efflorescence you got me uh but you can still get the efflorescence coming out the face of the tile just by not knocking it down. Correct. The less water we have back there, the better.
1: Yeah. And, and really, with water transmission in any sense, where we go from wet to dry, you're going to see it more, especially if there's pathways back there that allow the access for the water transmission to occur occur in an easier fashion.
0: Sure, so let's talk a little bit about um, mesh backed. Uh, so it's it's a bit of a hot topic, uh, and there's definitely some there's some pluses, some minuses. The 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 plus with mesh backed is very simple. Uh, you know, it, it's you you throw an entire sheet up at a time, uh, especially if you're doing a mosaic, and and that uh, there's no paper to peel off, there's no tape to peel off. Uh, but the biggest thing. Uh, with mesh is that it has to be done properly, and uh, many manufacturers don't do it properly and uh, with the t c n a requirement of ninety five percent coverage on the back, it's real hard to do with mesh i mean there's a lot of there's good out there, but a lot of the bad and a lot of the cheaper stuff that you see you're you're literally the glue is what you're bonding to and not necessarily the mesh. yeah, the mesh might only be three percent of the back but the amount of glue that they've put on there uh, takes it to 80 or even I've seen a hundred percent covered by the glue and that's where your breakdown becomes so you really uh, if you're working with mesh you really need to flip it over and really kind of uh, look at it very closely to understand uh, are you bonding to the actual tile material or are you bonding to glue or what are you yeah
1: so right so in tile testing we've done a lot of testing to mesh and actually to the back of the tile with mesh and the average that we see in the industry is about 68% contact. Okay. So you're going to get, let's say, an average of 68% contact to the back of the tile, which falls short of the 95% that's required under P602. Mm-hmm. So right there, you have an initial issue. Right. But if you obtain the minimum bond strength of 150 PSI to the back of the tile, then, you know, that's that's kind of the flip version of that.
0: Yeah, The the… The downside to that is the guy that's running to Home Depot and buying the least expensive thin set, and then putting it onto a mesh back tile, and you know you're not getting, you know, you're not using a high quality thin set like a Laticrete 254, or Superflex, or you know, there's a lot of really high quality, highly modified thin sets on the market. Um, that 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 will give you more than that psi.
1: Well, typically normal. If you're going to go pay two dollars a square foot for tile, you're going to use a seven dollar bag of thinset, and you're going to have a water solu- soluble glue on the back of it, and you're just asking for issues down the road. Sure. Now a lot of manufacturers within the tile industry with meshback tile will actually, you know, in writing send you, you know, in th- they'll actually say that it's acceptable for use in submerged application in writing. And I suggest two things when you're working with mesh back tile. One is we don't do mock-ups anymore. Right. And doing a mock-up and actually being able to test it and being able to actually see if you can pull it off the next day, um, I do them just to show my client what their tile's gonna look like in their pool. Mm -hmm. The other thing is is drop the sheet in a bucket of water.
0: Before it's mounted.
1: Before it's mounted. Mm -hmm. And see how easy it is to pull the tile off of the mesh. Because sometimes, I mean, I've seen zero access. I've seen four layers between yeah. the back of the tile and the mesh. And there's no way you're bonding to the tile. You're bonding to the actual assembly. And when I see that, it's it immediately goes in a
0: bucket of water. Sure. Yeah, and that's uh, it's not necessarily the death sentence either. We did a job in Manhattan Beach not that long ago, and the client found a tile Absolutely loved it. It was a beautiful pistachio glass tile. It was stunning, but it was mesh-backed. And so we stuck it in water to do that test, and within probably 20 minutes, the mesh backing was peeling off. But all we did was, you know, we took it to um, a mounting facility here in Los Angeles, and they mounted it for us for, I don't know, 3 $4 a square foot. So it's not the end of the world. It's, it's You can still use something like that. There are other options available if the client's just in love with it.
1: Correct. Correct. And. And when, when you go to remount it, it's very important. You know, most of the time, ho- I'm hoping, you went with paper face because of yeah. the advantage of, you know, which we didn't talk about, of actually being able to make the adjustment to the tile while the thin set is still workable and pliable. Sure. That's the biggest advantage to paper face tile. Leaving it on till the next day with paper-faced is actually taking all the advantages away. Right, exactly, yeah. And, and paper-facing gives the setter so many more options during the set.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's, yes, there's a learning curve to it, but there's a learning curve to anything. There's, uh, once you've done it a couple of times, it's really not all that difficult. It's just something that most guys haven't necessarily done. So, um,. So mesh-backed, um, you know, we're, we're, I think we're kind of done with that one. Um, let's talk a little bit about mounting systems. Uh, let's talk about epoxy versus cementitious uh, for your setting beds. What's the difference? What are some of the advantages? Where should one not be used? Um, the, you know, one thing I want to back up, too, and say is you really need to rely on your manufacturers. You know, you're the technical writer at Lanada Bay. People can call your office, you write, it's your job to write specifications in that. And so any manufacturer that doesn't have that, you should really consider whether you should be using them. Uh, And if they do, most manufacturers, quality manufacturers, have a setting protocol that you guys lay out and and you can actually, the manufacturer takes precedent over TCNA. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Okay, Um,
0: manufacturer
1: can write his own warranty system. And that, that goes for the manufacturer of the tile and the manufacturer of the setting materials. Because okay. when you go to the setting material, if you look at P602 from start to finish, there's very few tile manufacturers that can actually accomplish that with one material all the way through. Sure. So they can actually say bonded mortar bed, no cementitious waterproofing, anti-fracture membrane, and, you know, so on. They can write their own specification, and that overrides the TCNA okay okay the tcna is just a standard and recommendation sure these are what we would call best practices um when you go to the manufacturers though number one red flag is if you don't have an installation guy that follows p602 that's usually for from the tile manufacturer side okay or they can't tell you if it can be used in a submerged application or
0: not and they're unwilling to put it in writing so Let's stop on the submerge. We hit on it pretty good on the last one, but submerged application, essentially 99.9% of pools out there are have tiles in a submerged application. It does not mean, you know, there's a misnomer that that means just an all-tile pool. It's not. You know, where is the tile submerged? Waterline. Waterline. The, the bottom half of your waterline.
1: 99% of the pools that get installed have waterline tiles
0: yeah so it's not just for all tile pools a submerged application is basically everything that everybody's building
1: if you have a piece of that tile under the water line it's a submerged application Um, they'll sometimes refer to it as wet dry but submerged application is anything a water line a raised bond beam a a trough um, anything that actually has water under
0: submersion or traveling across it for any period of time sure all right, so um, talk about the difference between epoxy and cementitious. Um, you know, you've got uh, lat epoxy, you've got, um, what are some of the other ones? There's. Um, uh, oh, there, I mean, there's every manufacturer
1: within the industry today that makes setting materials has an epoxy thin set. Okay. Okay. Epoxies are a two component thin set um, made up of an A and B, uh, typically low water absorption, water resistant. They're a chemical base, um, very rigid in most cases, um, versus the cementitious waterproofings that we have on the market, which also can, you know, go to the rigid side depending on how highly they're modified. Um, There's actually, you know, some thin sets that are a little less, you know. So when we have any tile, this is, you know, we send our tile out to the different setting material manufacturers to ask them to set our tile with all of their different thin sets. And then we get the information back, and then we, with them, decide which thinset works best with our tile in every application. Sure. Because, of course, we sell tile for, you know, backsplashes, walls, countertops, you you name it. Ninety percent of our tile doesn't go in pools. It actually goes into interior environments.
0: Yeah. uh, And so that's one thing that many people probably don't realize is that they can actually call you, uh, call any of the good quality manufacturers and say, can you give me your recommendation and there's going to be four or five thin sets and four or five uh, grout samples and and so you're not you're not necessarily always stuck with one manufacturer. Like you have to use brand X or brand Y. But if you're going to use brand X, here's what we recommend within brand X. Brand Y, if that's your choice, you know, here's the materials within there. So it's, it's all pretty well defined by the good quality manufacturers of what you should be utilizing to set their material. Right, exactly. Good manufacturers actually out
1: there are doing their testing and sending it out to labs and following the criteria. Like for glass tile, it's ANSI 1. 37.2 there's actually a glass tile standard for ceramics and porcelain is ANSI 137.1 so if you know you can actually reach out and ask if the tile has been tested and meets or exceeds the standard in either ANSI or you know 137.1 or
0: 137.2? Well, my tile guy at the, at, the, uh, at the tile store that's trying to sell it to me, he's going to tell me that it is, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That, that's... We see, how, how often do you see that? <laughs> well, they, the architect uh, went into such-and-such such manufacturer, and, and they said, of course, it's, it's good. But really, you can't take a sales guy's um, word for it. You really need to do your own homework and be testing, that, uh, or just be checking
1: it out. I mean, that is a great point. Um, As a contractor, you can't take somebody else's word for it because that person, when something goes wrong, is not going to be on the hook because you're going to be the first guy they call. So the first thing I always do is I always check back with my manufacturers. I will actually check with my supplier, whether it's tile, stone, ceramic, porcelain, check with them, and then I actually... Find out if they have setting material recommendations and then i actually do a little bit more homework with the setting material manufacturer and make sure they're okay with the system that is actually given to me so i want to put everybody in a line from the beginning you know setting material manufacturer
0: tile manufacturer and have everything in writing yeah, and, and I know uh, one of the things we want to cover today is sticking with a manufacturer, uh, whether it's mape or Laticrete, or, you know, pick your poison. You know, you want to, uh, as much as possible, kind of stay within an entire family. So define what that looks like and why that's so important. Well, from my side, I've always... And I think even when
1: we met, I was probably pushing you on what I call the systems approach. Now, I didn't have to talk to you about that because you were already well-versed in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of a systems approach to insulation, meaning one manufacturer, their products.
0: Yeah, all um, the way through, from all, your mortar bed all the way through All ground. the way
1: through. Now, some of them can't provide that when we go to some of the you know colloidals because no setting material manufacturer is going to have a colloidal sure. silicate to actually you know spray on. Um, treatment the, you know some of them are going to have from the point of the shell forward and most of them you know sometimes have a highly flexible highly modified semen tissues that we've talked about before but then you've got you know the more people and, and this is the way i put it the less people you have standing on the deck if something happens at the end of the day it's better
0: yeah. And uh, the way I like to look at it, too, is if you're using the same manufacturer for your bonded mortar bed, for your, uh, your membrane, whatever damp proofing you're going to be using, then you've got your thin set, then you've got your grout, the entire system, they've done their homework and they know that the, each of those components is compatible to each other. And so all the way out, you're not having any compatibility issues. Right.
1: They've tested all their materials. And they usually will tell you, you know, you can get limited or extended warranties based on using all of their products in a system.
0: Sure. Yep. So um, what's your thought on epoxy versus uh, cementitious? It all depends on the finished material. Okay. Okay.
1: So we were talking about this earlier, and, and, and we really haven't touched on, you know, glass versus porcelain versus natural stone. Sure. And it depends on my finished material because... For me, sometimes epoxy thin sets in certain applications, depending on size of tile, which is this is a, could get it to a very deep subject, actually would dictate the setting material that is best for the application. And I know that's a lot, mm-hmm. but I take consideration of what the characteristics and attributes are of the material I'm using, whether it's a porcelain, a glass, or a natural stone. Sure, and then. I basically go back and figure out which one's going to give me the best bondability and the best characteristics and attributes to my final product.
0: Yeah, because a glass performs very differently than a porcelain. You know, a porcelain one by one and a glass one by one, they have very different needs within a system. Correct. Very different needs.
1: Glass is going to expand and contract, and it basically expands to thermal exposure. It's heat. And, you know, we talk about thermal shock in the episode before where we have, you know, a quick variance in temperature. Where it goes from, we've shot glass in the desert at 242 degrees. Wow. On a pool. Amazing. If you can imagine a, a pool bond beam and a space between the tile and the setting system that I could stick my hand all the way through. Wow. The tile had expanded so much that it actually pulled the tile away from the setting system, and there was a gap of four inches.
0: And the only thing holding it together was grout. Was the grout in,
1: in, in the actual thin set that stuck to the tiles?
0: Hmm. Unbelievable! Yeah, glass is—it's—it's it's a great product. It's so beautiful. We do a lot of all glass tile pools. It's—it's it's stunning. Uh, but when I have clients tell me that they would like to upgrade to glass and then when I tell them the difference in price normally they freak out. They're like, well why is it so much different? It's because it's such a completely different animal and there's, you have to go to different materials and, and it just becomes so much more critical and you're not going to, you know, necessarily your local tile center You're bringing in a specialist. Uh, you know, we use specialized teams out here when we're doing an all glass tile pool uh, that we don't necessarily need to use on just a regular porcelain waterline tile.
1: Right. And in saying that, that's kind of an interesting because this is where I, you know, with the glass tile manufacturer that I work for, we also sell ceramics. But knowing that the system is the same and it should be the same for porcelain, ceramic, mm-hmm. or glass. The big difference is is that you just got to pay a little more attention. You can't set as fast with especially translucent glass because you're never – anything that's set behind it, you're going to see forever. So with porcelain, you're never going to see behind it what we call through-bodied or through-colored. But you still should use best practices and
0: set with the same method – for any material, for sure. Yeah, you're still having to have some sort of a membrane and, and that whole buildup, uh, but you don't necessarily need the the highest quality, the most flexibility oh. for your thin sets. And that porcelain is definitely more forgiving. Uh, forgiving, exactly. Yeah. So and and just the the curing protocols. I mean, they're all best practices, uh, but we all know that you know oftentimes a a pool is tiled the day before it gets plastered and so that can't happen in glass you know so you've you've now increased all of your uh, your timelines which adds money and all of that and and even you know just the curing within your build up your your mortar beds need to be cured all of that and and that that all does apply to porcelain but we don't get the porcelain failures that you do with glass cool. because Glass gets rushed too much, and that's that's where I think a lot of the added expense comes in, too. Yeah, and glass is impervious. Be very clear. It's got no water absorption.
1: So we're, re- we're basically relying on a 100% chemical bond to the back of that tile. Hmm. So you have to adhere to cure time to ensure that bond. Yeah. And it does. It takes a little bit longer. It's a little, you know, as far as cutting, there's different approaches, especially if you're using paper-faced. But... It is the I, it, and still, in my opinion, it's one of the most beautiful finishes in a pool when it's done and finished.
0: Yeah, yeah. When I mean, the 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 variation that you can get with glass and the electricity that you can get, the excitement that you can get to the water. I mean, it, it's it surpasses anything that's out there. It's by far the most beautiful.
1: Yeah, the refraction of the light makes glass one of those choices that if you want to have that effect, you have the refraction through the glass to help you with that. Yeah. Um, but it is, you know, to be honest, it. We want it set right. Glass most of the time gets a bad name because it gets set improperly and then the glass is blamed when, you know, if it was set properly, it most likely would not have failed.
0: Right, right. So that's going to bring me back to a point that I am going to keep, keep, keep harping on is concrete surface prep, um, CSP, concrete surface profile, sorry, um, and and why that is so important. So. Um, Review again why that is important, because I feel like it's one of the most misunderstood and and missed uh, missed things within setting materials. I think overlooked. Overlooked, yes. I
1: think it's one of the most overlooked aspects of of any what we call plane-on-plane bonding assembly. So when we're doing, you know, the way I look at it is every time I'm going to bond one surface to another, I want to actually try to get the best bond possible. So I'm looking for you know chemical bond, mechanical bond. We've also, we've heard these things, but the only way to achieve mechanical bond is by having a profile.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the better the profile, usually the better the bond. Um, some profiles, I mean, if we're going to completely smooth, we're relying on 100% chemical right. to do that. Um, and, and again, we, we use this word a lot, best practices. It's always good to have a, a little more profile than a little less. Because actually, we
0: know that's going to increase the bond in the long run. Mm-hmm. Well, you see it even in in uh, remodel applications. You know, a um, when a when a pool is replastered, you're generally getting a really good mechanical bond. Uh, well, you're unless not,
1: they're installing the tile directly over the previously installed tile.
0: Well, yeah, we can, we can go there all day. <laughs> we can, you know, that that's but that that's not best practices. No. <laughs> So um, one of the things also that I think it's missed a lot, especially with, um, with guys moving very, very quickly, is the, the minimum depth, of, that five-eighths, three-quarter-inch minimum depth of plaster. Half you know, Five-eighths, depend, you know, uh, we want to see. That's why we see in some, some
1: areas of the country they actually just set the tile directly onto the gunite with a adhesive or a mortar. Sure. And they basically install plaster the next day. And we're talking about a plaster depth of of a quarter at most, and most plaster manufacturers, and, and I don't want to speak because that's not my my expertise, but when I was working in the pool industry, wanted to see anywhere between you know a half to five eighths as their optimal thickness,
0: and even a little bit thicker. I think some of the uh, the the larger aggregates, you know, you're getting into some of the bead cretes and the uh, the standard size pebbles. Um, uh, you know, there's a company out there that has very large material. You, you're, I think, even five eighths is going to be too minimal. You have to have that buildup just for the aggregate itself that's in there. It has to be completely surrounded by the cement paste in order to hold it in place. Correct. And, and when you when you go to
1: let's say a large pebble job, a minimum of quarter inch is going to be. It's going to be a struggle. Yep. On that type of job. So so we like to see the actual tile be at five eighths of an inch as optimal and that takes into account that's why p602 shows you with cementitious you know rigid material your bonded mortar bed your optional you know anti-fracture membrane slash damp proofing and then thin-set tile grout
0: sure yeah it's it's you can't especially with thin tile you just you're not getting that build up you need to have the float built out uh, in order to get your thickness for your plaster
1: no actually i was in uh and I, we're not going to name states, but in a state looking at a pool that was one of the Italian mosaics, you know they're only four millimeters, which is about oh, an eighth yeah. of an inch. And it only had about an eighth of an inch of sunset. It's a quarter of an inch. So we were talking less than a quarter of an inch of plaster that was going on the wall, and it wasn't a white plaster.
0: Well, and and we talked about it last time that's where your cold joint happens and that's where you're going to get the, the you know water migration is going to come through it's just really really hard to get a perfect bond between the bottom of the tile and the top of the plaster Absol- gravity working against you absolutely yeah um Something that I don't deal with here, but you as a manufacturer, you can speak to this a little bit more, um, freeze-thaw and those kind of things. What what needs to be concerned with environments that, uh, say, the Northeast or Minnesota, where they actually do freeze at night? Uh, what are some of the different uh, safety mechanisms that need to be done differently that maybe we're not doing out here in Southern California?
1: Well, I know we talk a lot about uh, you know winterizing pools up in the Northeast. They winterize pools, so they're dropping the water level down and whatever finished material you have exposed there um freeze thaw is important when you have a porous material okay um anything that absorbs water with glass because it doesn't absorb water there are freeze thaw testings that most glasses should go through um again we talked about ANSI 137.2 has a standard for freeze thaw i see freeze thaw affecting more of the porous materials because of the water expansion
0: and the water absorption that they're retained water within the body of the material. Exactly. And in freeze
1: thaw climates, that's one of the areas that I really push hard for the highly cementitious flexible membranes. Okay. Because we don't want that mortar bed in the assembly actually absorbing the water or then when they drain the pool and we go into freeze, that water is going to cause, you know, degradation or it's going to cause actually issues with the setting bed at that point. But the highly flexibles will allow it to move during the freeze thaw periods.
0: Yeah, and and I would think as well that that your um, knocking down and your flattening becomes even much more in a freeze thaw condition much more critical because if you're getting water back into your ridges back behind the tile, that water is going to expand once it freezes, and now you're you're creating those micro fissures behind the tile, and eventually it's going to push off.
1: It's always key notch and flatten. Yep, I'm I've never been a big. F- Shouldn't say big fan, but I always follow kind of the same method because I'm always trying to get that 100% bond behind the tile. No, it's not achievable, but if we're getting 98, 99, 95, we're actually limiting the amount of water behind the tile. So we're we're mitigating what could happen.
0: Okay. Um- Let's turn the corner a little bit, and uh, off camera we were talking about um, penetrations and uh, how penetrations fit into the whole waterproofing assemblies within uh, pools. And again, this is an area where I think a lot of people are, um, well, I, I know when I started in the industry, I left it to the plaster, and the plaster was waterproofing, was uh, that's what we called it. Um,
1: well, we, we know it's not waterproofing. Right. It's not even damp-proofing. No, exactly.
0: They were just uh, packing they, the, the, the morning of, they were packing all the fittings. They were filling voids. Right.
1: And normally
0: with a highly intensified mix of calcium and pool plaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and oftentimes, I mean, you know, I know we've seen it where you can actually see uh, the difference of the thickness of the material in there will come at, back as shadowing. Uh, and so you little- you'll get some uh, shadowing around all of your, your return lines and all of that. Uh, that's why for us, we come in and we treat all of those systems um, one, two, three days ahead of time so that everything is cured. We've got, uh, the similar thickness of the plaster going over it because that's, it's really an important piece to understand that, you know, minimizing the difference in thickness because uh, at the end of the day, plaster is just a concrete and the thicker, the concrete thinner, you get all that variation. You're going to get differences in the final appearance. Well, and
1: so I've been out and, and seen my share of pools, but i one thing I've always seen is I've never seen a pool without an open cold joint around a pipe penetration. Exactly. And normally you can cut off the back of the pipe, twist it a couple of times if you can get behind the shell and it'll pull right out of the wall. Yep. Well, that cold joint is an area for moisture to transfer. So we've Both always, directions. Both directions. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So you can get negative, positive, positive, negative. You can get it, you know. Water transmission from the outside of the water levels, yes, absolutely that. And that is one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most critical details to damp a pool.
0: Sure. Yeah, and so uh, you just brought up the um, ICC. Uh, has a uh, they have a specification dealing exactly with this, and, and explain a little bit about what, about what they say.
1: Yeah, actually, in the International Code Council, they for penetrations they actually have a specification that requires a flexible joint between the pipe and the structural material.
0: So your typical hydraulic cement is yes. it doesn't doesn't meet their specification. It's not a flexible. Yeah, yeah. So
1: that's a you know hydrophobic or you know cement you're still going to get cold joints. So if you don't have that gasketed material behind it, it's not going to meet the ICC recommendation to have that flexible joint behind it.
0: Okay. Now, where we see this becoming really an issue is if you're building a pool over an art gallery. Um, you know, it's not necessarily, you, you don't notice it in a pool in grade, a traditional backyard pool, but that doesn't that doesn't mean that you don't necessarily need to be doing it. The code says that you need to be doing it. But once we start to get into these complex situations where we've got a pool up against a house wall or a basement wall or things like that, they become, you know, really essential. And so uh, from a waterproofing perspective, what does what does something like that look like? You know, what is, uh, what meets the code? Well, what would meet the code would actually be, So so when I look
1: at it, I look at it from a primary, a secondary, and a backup. Sure. So so how am I going to attack it first? If that fails, what do I have behind it? And if that fails, do I have a plan? So what it kind of looks like for me is is actually shooting water stops in with my structural shell. Okay. So they actually make water stops for pipes, and that could be, you know, put into the actual structural detail of the shell. So putting a water stop actually into... The structure,
0: which uh, for people that aren't familiar, it's basically just a little plastic disc uh, that glues around, um, and and uh, you can pack your waterproofing around it. You can your damp proofing, your uh, you know whatever material you're using. Yeah, but simply
1: shooting that in is just a a good little backup. You know,
0: so if we're going
1: over structure, always uh, I had my you know talk to people about thinking or 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 you know considering putting water stops actually into the structural portion because the fittings normally have water stops on them.
0: Exactly, yeah, your eyeball fittings, all of those fittings they have. That's why you have all of the ribs in them as they're, you know, it, towards the end. It's not just a smooth piece of plastic. You're... Right,
1: but where I look at, that's the first point of defense because right. we're actually at the end. You know, it's everything behind it that matters as well. So what it looks like in, in my view, and, and I can tell you that um, basecrete and membrane C both have very, very detailed very detailed penetration specifications that are tested and we know work. And they basically contain the primary, the secondary, the backup. They have you know, hydrophobic cements. They use fabric, you know, to, to cover the coal joints where there's dissimilar materials within, um, where you may get water penetration through a dissimilar material. Um, I would look at either of those and I find those both very solid.
0: Yeah, and we're not going to push any one manufacturer here, that's not the point of this, but I really, the, the, the membrane C detail, um, go look it up, I think it's a very A a very good detail. I like the way that one is detailed the best. And you don't necessarily need to use membrane C, but if you're going to look up something to really understand what we're talking about, I think that's the one uh, for me that's the most clear. And and that could be utilized with any of the systems. I mean, you need to, you know, obviously you want to talk to the manufacturer because the the specific products that they're calling out in there, you need to make sure that those are compatible with the different system. But just for the actual theory of what you're doing in there with the uh, you know, with the M one and the fabric and then the, the the fluid applied and all of that, it really gives you a, a great understanding of how they're achieving that waterproofing.
1: Absolutely. And when we talk about systems approach like we did in the beginning of the episode one manufacturer i know they can furnish material from start
0: to finish okay except for the fittings okay um Anything else that you think we need to talk about in this session? Uh, you know, we've got, we've got a couple more that we're gonna be working on together, uh, but as far as kind of um, re- really starting to dive a little bit deeper, what other things, so as a tile manufacturer, what are the things that you see kind of in this part of the conversation that, that concern you with the industry and, and some of the abuses and some of the things that you'd like to see uh, the industry take up, sit up and take notice and change? Well, definitely take
1: notice of the use of expansion joints. The most abused thing I see is that nobody puts in a deck to cope or a tile to coping interface joint. Yeah. So that would be my number one thing. And if, if I had to have a cause, that would be it, is making sure that I saw those more often. Um, the other thing is, and this will be a very deep topic if we ever get the chance to, to dive into it, would be adhering to manufacturer's cure times Sure. for all of the setting materials. Um, usually when we go out as a manufacturer and look at a job that has some type of failure or a claim on it, it's not just one issue that's the problem. So it wouldn't just be the soft joint, but it's usually a combination of events that have created the issue. And so as a cause, I'm a big fan of adherence to manufacturer's cure times.
0: Yeah, which makes it easier if you're doing the systems approach because then you're dealing with one manufacturer and you know the 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 modified mortar bed needs five days or seven days to cure and you know your thin set needs seven days before you're grouting and then the grout needs so many days and so uh, it's a lot easier to find that all of that information if you're staying within one manufacturer's uh full system
1: correct and when we were talking you know just recently we talked about having that manufacturer out on the site Mm -hmm. i think that's critical now if you're just doing and i'm not saying that for you know a smaller job but if you're doing something that i would consider you know high liability make sure that manufacturer's out on the job site because that way you have a relationship with him and he's seen the job and you can walk through it with him right so i proactively encourage contractors when they're using my product to reach out to me proactively and we'll come out and do a job site visit with the manufacturer's rep if they're available
0: yeah and that's that's uh we're involved in a job right now that you know multi-million dollar estate and yeah we're bringing in people we have the the um, waterproofing supplier they are coming out and they're looking at the csp they're looking at before we ever start applying their material they've certified it and that and so um, that's what i've found too is that when you start to get into these uh, projects where you might have three or four hundred thousand dollars worth of tile going in and and the whole uh, installation some of these very very large very complex jobs get the manufacturers involved early and keep them involved Uh, yes it slows you down a little bit but when you know like on this job we will probably have the rep out probably four or five times throughout the entire process as we're building everything up. And, and even to the point where some of these bigger jobs, you can get the manufacturers to actually write a specification uh, specific with that job site address and say, okay, for this job with these materials, this is our recommendation for X, Y, Z, you know, all the way through. And, and then you have them check up on it. So
1: Yeah, and actually to, to kind of build on that point, I mean, that is perfect practice what i try to do is go the next step and actually get them to write in writing that their material is compatible with the final finish oh wow so in other words getting the manufacturer who whoever it would be for me with glass i would actually say we we know we're compatible with a b c d and i don't have a problem writing a joint warranty as long as you're using this system right and put it in writing
0: Yeah. Uh, But along that side with that, too, is you want A, B, C and D to be out there double checking and making sure you want that certification that, hey, you know, per manufacturer D, it was installed and, and the manufacturer's rep had eyes on it.
1: I want my manufacturer out on the site as often as possible. The great thing is if there is ever an issue, he knows you and your work.
0: Yeah, yeah, and they've been there and they understand what's going on. So, um, all right, thank you very much uh, again. I'm so excited to have you in the studio. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting you back in studio. Yeah, so um, like we've said a number of times, you know, we've got we've got multiple in here, uh, and so we're definitely going to have you back on just because we can get so much further in the weeds, and you and I do this on the phone all the time, uh, but, but there's so much to this, and there's so many components to learn that it's really not something we can cover in two forty 40-minute programs.
1: Yeah, and you've helped me a lot, too. Um, you know, working on the projects and actually developing some of these processes, working with you has been been a pleasure. So I do appreciate this. This is great getting, you know, some face
0: time together, and we got to do it again. Perfect. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Yes the Masters
1: is dedicated to educating, mentoring, and designing a better workplace for the swimming pool industry and their families. Please take a moment to share, like, and review our content with all of those that would be interested.